Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Here are your hosts, Barry Schuster and Chris Tripoli. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli. And I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. And today, we're very excited because we're going out west. We're talking to a couple of ladies that have a wonderful concept. We can't wait to hear their story. Welcome to the Corner Booth, Shyla Morris and Kay Solano. Hope I got the names right. Kay Salerno, but hey, you were close enough. And yes, Shyla Morris, we're thrilled to be here today. Thank you so much for having this sister duo from the West Coast. I like it. Well, welcome, sisters. So squeeze in, excellent concept. Can't wait to hear about it. But maybe if you wouldn't mind, just take a step back. A lot of times our listeners love to hear the history of what drove you to hospitality in the beginning. What was your interest? How did you get started? So if each of you could take a couple minutes and tell us that, and then we'll dive in further. Gosh, we would love to. And you know, what drove us to the hospitality industry is our mom and dad. We are the children of a family business. So when Kay was 10 and I was 17, our parents bet it all, literally cash in their savings and retirement, quit their careers, called in every family favor they could and bet it all to purchase a failing small breakfast and lunch restaurant in the tourist ski town of Truckee, California, right outside of Lake Tahoe. And overnight, Kay and I gained that front row seat to the drama that is American entrepreneurship. Now, we literally went from eating out as a family to serving families as they were dining out from cheer practices in the afternoon to baking biscuits all together in the afternoon. We really became the operational center of all things squeeze in. And as the business began to grow and expand, And as our family started to grow and expand too, Shyla and I came in as partners to help to grow the business, which is now today at 11 locations across four states. So we went into franchising about 2013. So five of those locations are owned by franchise owners. So we own six locations under our family umbrella. Then we also own the franchise company and help manage and lead those five owners and look forward to expanding even further with those. But mom and dad retired about four years ago. So Kay and I, as the sister duo, are the active leadership and management of the restaurant company at large. And we love to do it. We love to bring the squeeze in into communities and see the impact that it can have. And it's, of course, been a little bit crazy in the last few years with the pandemic and all of the things, but we are still here. We're still standing and we're proud to have been such a great example for the rest of the restaurant community. You and your family have been such an amazing success story. And as I was saying offline, I remember early on when your family became involved with restauranter.com and did an interview. And I remember watching the interview for the first time and your mom walks out with like 500 copies of Restaurant Startup and Growth. And what an endorsement for lots of reasons, but basically because you really have been so successful. But one of the things she got really excited about, and I'd like you to talk about up front, She said when she finally understood how to systematize the business, everything really took off. And how that you are running these businesses and growing, is there anything about that that you could share with other independent operators 
was it really that big a deal? I think there were so many other things that you were doing right. I can't imagine it was the only thing, but was it a big deal? Absolutely. Systemization was what took us from being able to have two restaurants that were run almost 100% by family members to expand into two restaurants that are run by managers, a third restaurant on the way. And now we're talking about running from a regional level. And so what a system does is it allows somebody else to come in. The word system feels overused. Let's call it a playbook, right? Where we create playbooks for people that as you move forward, you can hand it off to somebody and say, do you want to know how to be a host inside this restaurant? Here's your playbook. If you follow these seven steps every single time, you will be successful at being a host in this restaurant. Now, what that did was remove the need for the person to come in and say, this is what you have to do and have, I want to call it like the tribal form of information dissemination, where it goes from elder to elder to elder. We instead took that into the systematized form, which is putting that into written words, into followable steps, and then making it in a way that's duplicatable. Now, when mom and dad bought that first failing restaurant and their 10-year-old and 17-year-old Shyla are working in the family business, bussing tables and washing aprons at night and all of the things, that business didn't even take credit cards. There was not a soda machine. There was not a phone. There was not a schedule posted. Everyone just, quote, knew when to show up. So we were really starting at the ground when it came to the need for systems. And and our mom, thank goodness, had some corporate background and could see we need to look at what like, you know, success leaves clues. And there's a formula out there and let's find the resources in the community like restaurantowner.com and like Restaurant Startup Magazine that can help us do that. And once she got plugged in and clued into those communities and then started bringing us along as well, we could really see the value of it, which allowed us to scale. Now, I know what happens for most restaurant owners is that systems are intimidating and they are scary and they and and you don't get into this business because you love to create budgets and because you want to follow a marketing plan and because taxes are fun you get into it because you love to cook and you love to connect and you love people and you and you want to have this positive impact on your community and so many people approach systems in in a way that is like i don't need a system i'll just be so successful i won't need a system i'll just be so popular i won't need systems i'll just do I'll make so much money, I won't need a budget, right? And that's not a very wise way to approach business because whether you're running a flower shop or a tire shop yeah. or an online commerce shop or a restaurant, there are certain systems that you need in play. Of course, there's going to be nuance and industry lingo and, and jargon that's different and different pieces that move. But for the most part, you know you're going to need some of those things. You know you're going to have a product or and service that goes with it. And what are the systems around that? You know you're going to have operations of some kind. You know that there's going to be financial things in play. You know that marketing is going to be at play. So what are those systems in your major areas that you can bring forward that will help you scale, that will help you be free? And I think understanding that for restaurant owners is like, like gain the freedom that you yeah. thought you were going to get from owning a restaurant. You can do it. It's just through systems, which isn't what you think is the answer to that. Well, yeah. And you just, and you said it all there. And I don't believe there's too many independent restaurant operators that start from what you almost might describe the caveman antics or that your mom and dad started from. Most people do start with perhaps a soda system and a credit card machine. But I think every listener can certainly identify with the fact that, that you are right. We get into the business because of our passion and our love for people. 
But if we want to spend more time with people, if we want to spend more time creating the food, then we do need to create the process and procedures to maintain consistency so that we're putting out less fires uh, and we're enjoying the business more. So congratulations to YouTube for being able to see that, foster it, and take it to where it is now. Because if you're multiple unit, as you have been for years, um, you're not, you know that you're not going to be successful operating those, uh, those units without having consistent ways of managing product and people and processes and dollars. Good for you. So Kay and Shyla, um, let's step back just a little bit because I'm sure the listeners want to know a little bit more about your concept. I, I've spoken to people, strangers, I guess to you possibly, but uh, people I've met and uh, from Reno, Truckee area, and your place was kind of iconic. I mean, people know about it. So, but you've replicated this thing 11 times. And if I recall from the videos I saw, it looked like kind of a eclectic, kind of hippie, hipster type of place. Um, you, tell me about the concept. I mean, what what is the what is the concept? The, the food, the ambience is is it a replication of this really cool ski town breakfast place, or is it uh, a little different now? So the initial <clears throat> concepts that came out were: uh, I, there is no way to replicate a one hundred and forty year old building in a historic hallway with the original flooring and the brick wall from the original like you just we can't replicate that so we had to take a look at the squeeze in which is a breakfast and lunch concept for anyone listening we specialize in brunch we're known for our omelets we were featured on the food network's throw down with bobby flay for our omelets we went up against him in a competition it was very fun um and so we started taking a look at what what are these elements of squeeze in that make it squeeze in without the brick wall and the hundred year old floor and, and the hallway. And, and we said, well, it's eclectic decorations on the wall. Like you mentioned, Barry, um, it is the love that gets created inside the restaurant because the people who are working it really do care. And it's what the, the, the signing on the wall. So in every single location, you can leave your signature, your literal mark on the wall with a Sharpie and you can sign. And that's been a tradition inside squeeze in, um, since the original location. And so we carried that into all locations forward, but each location is a little bit different. All of them have, you'll see they have orange and yellow walls. It looks just like a sunrise. Um, so you have sunrise walls, you have lots of fun decor, but what's really cool is that we don't order our decor off of Amazon. There isn't a standardized checkbox for the art. What we do is we source things locally from local thrift stores, from art shops, from uh, the, the farmer's market that has all of the junk out. And we grab dining tables from these places. We grab hutches for our, for our coffee stands. We grab the decorations that you see. So oftentimes what will end up happening is someone will be sitting at a, at a table and the squeeze in and they'll be like, oh my gosh, this is my grandmother's table. Where did you guys get this? And we're all, oh, we got it from the thrift store. And now it's here inside the squeeze in. And so because they get so localized, they really take on the characteristics of the community that they're in, like our university location, the one that's really close to the University of Nevada, Reno, has a lot of university-centric things. It has an entire alumni wall that's blue and silver, the university's colors. But you're not going to find that on the South Reno squeeze in because it's more mountainous and a higher-end community. And 
You're going to find more um, like biking jerseys that we've sponsored on the walls and nice uh, art pieces that just, you know, kind of get people thinking. So each one's a little bit different, but they all kind of have that love. They do. And I think what helps create that and perpetuate that and makes it so signature and special for people is the fact that we really intentionally try to engage you in all five of your senses, right? We know when you go out to eat that you're getting engaged with taste and that, and that it hopefully smells good in the restaurant, but at the squeeze in, there's a lot to look at you. So you can imagine people signing the walls with Sharpies. There's art, there's poems, there's lyrics, there's jokes, there's fun stuff and memories of first dates and proposals and celebrities. So there's so much to look at. Then you put on top of it, the community thrift store and donation feeling of the old 1945 poster of the flower shop and, you know, the, the bicycle hanging from the ceiling. So there's, you're very engaged uh, visually. And then the music is a key piece of the squeeze in experience. It's loud. It's, it's like 1970s or 1980s or 1990s. And it's your top hits and everybody knows the word and you can sing along with it. So you're, you're being engaged with your senses in a way that, that is just really fun and immersive, right? Tactile, you can pick up the Sharpie, you're leaving your mark. So you're being able to really get to know this place and then it's not cookie cutter. They don't all look the same. So that this one's going to look different with these tables and chairs and none of them match versus the other one that's got that more higher end feel or it's more reflective of the community that it's in. So I think that's been really helpful. And then the final piece, of course, is that we love to create a sense of community and lots of independent restaurants do this right, but how do you replicate it? Um, it can be a challenge. How do you systematize a sense of community? We've been able to do that through a couple of different avenues. One is through our social media. Um, just for, and We just uh, have been committed to it for a long time. We were featured in the New York Times for it. Uh, and the other is through our egghead, uh, our egghead database and our, our community of folks. So if you join our loyalty club, you're called an egghead, you get points for your dining. But we have so much fun with our eggheads. They have done everything from VIP parties with us to helping a diaper drive when I was pregnant with twins to when the pandemic hit and we went to our, our, our community and our database and said, we're hurting and we need help. They rallied and they helped us and they came together and not just monetarily, like in a lot of amazing and beautiful ways. So, so all of those things come together, make it so much more than just bacon and eggs, which at the end of the day is really all it is. Well, and now that's a great thing. Let's segue into the food. It's a great menu, pretty darn big. Um, what are the favorites, top sellers? Maybe you could tell the listeners how alcohol plays a role into your brunchiness. Uh, and how do you source? Uh, because, you know, you're, you're located now in a wide variety of cities and a few states. Brunchiness. I like that. <laughs> right. That's a new, that's a new adjective. <laughs> well, it's, it's the alcohol. It's the alcohol that makes it brunchiness. Absolutely. Well, mimosas are a core part of our DNA at the squeeze in. There is no denying that mimosas and Bloody Marys. And whenever we get a new uh, staffer or maybe even a new franchise owner, they're always like, I got to have beer or I got to have wine. And they like go do their thing. But mimosas and Bloody Marys are the brunch staples. And that is um, a major portion of our menu. So of course that plays into it quite a bit. From a profitability standpoint, alcohol is one of the most beneficial things that we have. I 
mean, uh, where we're able to source our champagne um, very cost effectively. The price of one mimosa pays for a whole bottle that pours three mimosas. Um, so we're, you know, we're really getting some good value in there when it comes to alcohol sales. And so the last time that we actually reworked our menu, we did a full profit analysis of our menu. And we found out that we were dedicating two full pages of our menu to lunch items. And we found out that uh, we had more sales on one of our omelets than we did on then in the entire lunch menu for the time period that we were looking at. And so the last time we redid the menu, the, the lunch menu got cut. Like there's only like four items, I think now, and then to make your own uh, option that they have there, we added a full healthy page because in addition to looking at our numbers, we pulled our guests and we said, what do you guys want more of from us? And it was interesting, the two sides of the spectrum where I want more indulgence and I want more healthy options. So we added both of those things. So we expanded our healthy option and did away with that on the lunch page. And the other major, major change we made to the menu the last time that we did it was we pulled the drinks from the back all the way to the front. So the very first thing you do when you open it up is you see our little story here on the on the front cover and some franchising information and some kind of like how you read our menu thing. And then right here on the right hand, like it's like a mimosa smacks you in the face. And if the first thing that you look at isn't that Bloody Mary with a grilled cheese and a strip of bacon coming out of it, then we didn't do our jobs right. And it's been great to see alcohol sales have gone up since then. Our uh, breakfast sales have been more focused. We've put uh, more items on our usual breakfast, pared down our omelets to make them less confusing, even though that's what we're known for. And, and it's made the process more streamlined for our guests and easier for them to make decisions, not based on the things that we think are really delicious and great inside this prison, right. but what they told us they wanted with their words and with their dollars. I mean, in terms of sourcing as well, you know, it's that's one of those community pieces that's important to any community, right? Like what's the big coffee and bread place here in Reno, Nevada, isn't the same in Fredericksburg, Texas. And so finding those uh, really strong community partners that can help with some of those local vendors. And we do our best to try and do that so that we can get preservative free, fresh baked bread, and we can get organic grown fair trade coffee, and we can have supplies of fruit and vegetables from around the region. So we work hard with our franchisees and within our own to, to help source those ingredients as much as possible. Well, you know, Barry, I, I hope our listeners are making some notes because this is just a tremendous story of proper menu engineering. I mean, you spend a lot of time over the years in the magazine talking about uh, proper menu review analysis, menu engineering, menu layout, menu design, play to your strengths, listen to your core customers. Um, um, and in the last few minutes here, we just heard a perfect story of exactly how to do that. So listeners take note because that's how you manage menu. Well, that's where we got all of our notes from. So thank you, Barry. Well, gosh, I don't know what to say. You know, one of the questions I was going to ask, but you answered it for me. You answer all the questions before I even ask them is, well, do you, you know, with your mimosas and your Marys, do you do anything that's kind of crafty and signature about them? So people know that it's a squeezed in mimosa and Mary. And now you have a piece of grilled trees on your Bloody Mary, which I think is pure genius. But anyway. 
I have to say here, we instituted something in the last year that has been super successful and anyone can take this. It's so fun and it's so easy to implement. We now do a mimosa of the month. Um, so we've got some kind of a special mimosa and I was literally, literally at a doctor's appointment this morning. She took down my email address. She saw squeeze in and she went, oh my God, I love your guys' mimosas of the month. I couldn't get over the blueberry one that you had in March. It was so good. Like it was the thing that she remembered was the mimosa of the month. And then the girls around her heard her say that to me and they go what is it for august what's it what is it for august and i was like it's a peach mimosa with peach nectar and they were all like ah so it just goes to show that having that signature drink or even a, a changing drink um can be really exciting for the community and that bloody mary that came mentioned is actually called the hail mary it comes in a liter <laughs> glass or um a, a liter yeah and it's wow. got like bacon coming out of it and grilled cheese and all kinds of stuff that comes with mm -hmm. it. But, you know, we, we want to make at least one item in our menu and, and, you know, listeners take note, something that's what we like to call Instagrammable, right? Something that people want to take a picture of and they want to post it and they want to tag you in it. And, and our Hail Mary has been the most Instagrammable thing um, that we've had in a long time. And for a long time for us, it was chocolate bacon, but things get stale after a while, right? Like, and, and chocolate bacon, as you can imagine, doesn't photograph the very best, but a beautiful Bloody Mary absolutely does. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. Well, that's great. And the Instagram ability is so important, particularly to younger guests. They like to show off what they're doing, what they're eating. You know, this is all such textbook, as Chris said, in terms of just how you do it well. Now, but we have to talk about what's been going on the last 18 months with the pandemic, with labor. And, um, and the reason I'm asking is because I, I'm imagining you, you hit these issues head on and you found some, you found some ways to make things work. And so this thing hits, you've got this, you've got everything going well for you. And now you've got to deal with not only the pandemic, but all of the, the issues related to labor and so forth in the wake of it. Can you talk to us about you know, what happened, how you dealt with it, and uh, what you're doing right now to keep things going. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's been a, a journey and a tale, and it continues to go on. A whale of a tale. <laughs> <laughs> but what we can say is that in the very beginning, you know, probably most restaurant owners listening right now can relate to if, you're, if your concept's already open, you know, March 18th, 2020, and or around then, whenever your community shut down, for us, it was a 75% drop in revenue, literally overnight. It was like obliterated. And, and what, what a lot of folks outside of industry didn't realize is that that happened. And all of a sudden you're down to like 10, 10 to 20% of the business that you have been doing, but the bills that are due right then are for full capacity times that you had yeah. three weeks ago. And so there, there was this very immediate extend the financial runway. So that became the top priority in the first three weeks was how, how do we make it right? We're looking at the cash forecast and we're going, we got three weeks until we go into parentheses zone and that's not good. So what do we do? to extend that runway. So we went to that egghead nation. We went to our 60,000 emails in our database and we said, here's everyone kept saying, what can we do? So we kind of just threw, we could, we threw a lot of spaghetti at the wall, but we threw these five ideas out there at them. And we said, you could buy gift cards. You could order takeout. You could, uh, um, you could send somebody a gift card, or you could sponsor a hot meal for a hospital worker in our area. And we'll prep it and we'll take it to the hospital. And it was just one of those like crazy ideas we had had. You've all likely now heard this model because it's been out, 
But in March, uh, early March of 2020, this was like a brand new idea. So we put that out there. And over the weekend, we had like 300 meals get sponsored at $10 a pop. This has traction. This has traction. (laughs) So Kay and I, you know, we're desperate to save the family business. We got to extend this financial runway. We decide we're going to put together a telethon-esque Facebook Live where we ask our eggheads and our community members to submit videos of their talent, whether it was reading poetry or performing a circus act or singing a song, and we would share it and we would call for donations to sponsor hot meals for hospital workers. Now, we ended up doing it. We had 65 videos submitted. We showed every video. We were live for five and a half hours. Uh, Our community supported us. And the long and short of it is we raised $40,000, which was 4,000 hospital meals. But that $40,000 carried us through those three payrolls, which we literally would not have thought, thought of any other way before PPP came through before EIDL, before any of those things. We didn't know what to do. So we, we did a show and we sponsored hot meals for hospital workers. And the beautiful thing was the community wanted to do something. They wanted to help. So they were able to feel good that they were helping our business and helping hospital workers. Our associates, our staff, our tribe wanted to be involved in a way. They don't want to be employed to sit in a restaurant with no one coming in. They want to have purpose and meaning right there in the hospitality industry because they love to interact and connect. So this gave them purpose and meaning packing these boxes, writing love notes on the front for hospital workers. A church group volunteered to deliver all of the, you know, all of the meals. It took coordination with our six local hospitals. Each store got paired with a hospital, including the veterans uh, hospital here in our town. And so it was this amazing feel good story that saved our family business, gave our associates purpose, gave meaning to our community, looking to try to help. And it was just a win, win, win overall. So that was our first major initiative um, that helped us get through the pandemic. But as you guys know, the pandemic kept going. (laughs) Yeah, the shame that it is. Yes, it did. But that's a fantastic start. And you hit so many really good points there um, about care and concern for others also pays dividends to ourselves. Uh, I like the point that you made there by not only reaching out to your steady customers, they wanted to help. And that's the key thing that people need to know is that, 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 that people really, really want to be directed into something they can do. Um, and then I really like the fact that the staff, that you thought about your staff, because your tribe, it's important to care for them. And you're right, they want to know that there's a purpose, that they're following an owner's passion. And so anytime that we're in a jam like that, if people listening today will realize that that uh, they need to engage others. We've got to do um, what we can and the steady customers are going to tell us basically what they want or what they're going to help us with. And then don't forget to engage the staff because they need to be a part of the program. It sounds like you did that really well. I think that part of the engagement piece too that made us so successful and that has actually, we've we continued to carry forward and has continued to help us in the wake of the pandemic and the after effects has been the idea of transparency. Um, we were very honest when we went forward to our guests that very first time. We said, look, last Tuesday, 85% of our revenue went away. And if, if we don't get help, like we don't know what we're gonna do. We, we wanna stay open for you guys and for our associates and here's how you can help. You're all reaching out to us and saying you want to help. So here's how, here's how we can make that happen. And we never shied away from that conversation either with our associates. We told them where we were at. What we told them all along is that our goal is to remain hopeful and realistic at the same time, because the realistic 
realism of the situation is, is that this is really bad and, and we could lose the restaurants. But the hopefulness of it is that we know we are resilient. We know that we're creative and we know that this is a crew of hardworking people that can make it through. Now, obviously, one of the after effects of the pandemic has been the labor crisis that many of us are experiencing and at the beginning of this month, we hit ahead with the labor crisis where we had to hit a full timeout on all of the locations. It was July 3rd. We pulled the plug. We get, we shut down every restaurant in our corporate pack. So all six of them on July 4th weekend, the first time in company history, Squeezin has been closed on the 4th of July. Um, and some of them remained closed for a week after that, a couple of days after that to gather their footing and gain, gain some traction for their, for their employees and, and rest a little bit. But we were very transparent with our employees about where we were. We pulled everyone together for an all hands meeting on that Sunday, July 4th. And we said, if we don't get more people into the restaurants, you guys are going to have to start going through intermittent closures. And nobody wants that. No one wants that. We don't want it. You don't want it. So help us help you. And then the other side of that was we got really transparent with our community, sent out a letter to our Egghead Nation. We posted on social media and just told everyone we are in a labor crisis and this is really difficult. And here's the reality of what it looks like from a, from a business owner's perspective. And our Facebook post went completely viral for our community. We had over 750 shares. We got interviewed on four different news channels here in town. And we got a write-up in two separate papers. And we got a flood of applicants. Now we're still working through the training issues and through getting everybody up and running. But that real, that sense of transparency that we've carried from the very beginning, we've never shied away from, from being both hopeful and realistic with what the situation is like to both our guests and our associates. It has been one of the best things that ever happened to us, but it's so hard to be vulnerable. And if you're listening right now and, and you're struggling with that, the second that we went public to our egghead nation and said, here's how hard it is on our staff. We know that you all, our guests out there are not having a great experience because we're understaffed and we, we can't stand for that anymore. And we're also seeing our veteran staff buckle under the mental anguish of, of coming into work every single day. And we will no longer sacrifice their mental health. We're hitting a hard reset. Everyone's off paid tomorrow. We're putting together our heads. And we told everyone you can expect in our restaurants to see at least for the next three weeks that there will be limited capacity seating, not because they're social distancing, because we can't handle the load. You will see a limited menu. You will see some items not available. You will see sometimes that we will turn off to-go orders. And we just told them, this is what we're going to have to do in order to protect your experiences for when you come in and the experience of our associates and our staff, because that's where we are. Yes, we're posting on Indeed. Yes, we're offering bonuses. Sure. Yes, we've got referrals, all of those things in place. But the reality is really, really hard. Now, when you contrast this to what several other restaurants in our community did, which was post into their post into their doors, a sign that said something like due to government handouts, nobody wants to work. So we're closed. And they got raked over the coals and just come on, business owners out there. You are better than that. You will never make it political. It's not about that. What you want to do is share from an authentic place of where you are and what you're doing, not about what you think it is or isn't fault at. And so the contrast for our community to see those businesses who posted that way versus the businesses who posted our way, um, um, really, it, it helped just, I think, highlight that juxtaposition of what you can do when you come from a place of realism and hope and from a place of wanting to be transparent and just wanting to give in a way that's authentic. Um, 
So, so when you did this, these again are, are dramatic steps. I've seen other successful restaurants take those dramatic steps. Congrats to you. Um, and I'm sure that your staff, again, uh, being that they were engaged, they were part of the process, they probably felt very, very good uh, about also helping out. Um, how did the other units react? The ones that are the franchise units? Did they kind of follow suit or are they struggling in different ways or did they have different approaches because their communities are different? Definitely a little bit of, of both. It kind of depends on the region. Um, now, Texas, y'all have a government out there and, and your governor is, you know, it's a wild, wild west. So he's he's fine. There is no labor shortage where, where he is in Fredericksburg anymore. He, he said that the issue has been cleared up for him as of June 1st um, and things have gotten a lot better. Now, May, April, March, it was very different for him, um, but he lives in a tourist town and there's all kinds of um, access that he has to lots of guests and lots of employees at this point. But in our Southern California, California location, um, our, our, um, Modesto, California location, and in Boise, it was a very similar situation. Um, the the employment uh, rates, uh, be they what they are, are it the there is a labor crisis right now. It is undeniable. Um, we there are not enough cooks. Really, there are more than enough right. people to work in the front of the house, but not enough qualified cooks. So um, every other restaurant was struggling except for Texas. <laughs> and they I, they all appreciated the exposure that, that that this did for them because people in their community it got so viral regionally for us that people in their community were reaching out and saying, hey, we saw Squeeze and Posted and, and are you suffering too? And do you need help? And I know this person and that, that, you know, I've got a connection for you or I just didn't know and I'd love to come back to work. So it was an overall positive for everyone that our franchisees wanted to make sure that that, that their communities knew they were still open on 4th of July <laughs> uh, was probably the biggest, uh, you know, feedback that we got from them. Um, but they all did great. 4th of July was on a Sunday this year. So for them, uh, it was still a busy day, which was nice. Yeah, restaurant operators look at a possibility of franchising as a growth option. Uh, so as long as we're talking about franchisees, maybe we can back up and you can share with them um, when you started franchising, what the thought process was, um, the advantages, disadvantages, costs involved, and do you have a strategic plan for more franchises planned? And if so, where? Love that question. Well, franchising is was considered for us um, probably in the same vein that many of you listening right now were considering franchising as well. You think of franchising, you think of McDonald's, you think of Subway, you think of sellout, right? Like let's just be real, real. That's what people think when they hear the word franchise. And so we were the we were the same way, but probably like most of you listening right now, we really wanted to grow and we knew we had a really cool concept and we knew that other communities could benefit from it. So we started exploring what those avenues of growth could look like. Okay, we could find a private equity firm. Okay, we, could, we, we couldn't pass the hat anymore to family members. We were maxed out on family members running locations and maxed out on money from family members. But we could, we could approach banks and that in the past had not been well for us. Uh, or we could sell it or we could explore what this franchising option is. So we did explore that route. And as we took away our preconceived conceptions about what franchising is and looked at the model for itself, we were like, there's really something here. You know, every eight minutes, a new franchise opens in this in this country and here in the U.S. And what franchising allows is for other families to benefit from the restaurant concept in the same way our family benefited from it. It gave us something to centrally do together. And breakfast and lunch is only seven hours a day. You're home at night with the kids like it's it's 
it's perfect for a family who says, I want to be in the restaurant industry, but I don't want to go it alone. And I want to be able to pick up my kids after school. This is a great model for them. And we knew how it had transformed our families. And we got really energized thinking about how other families could do the same thing with the same concept in their communities and be fully empowered to be the full owners uh, of that. And so once we saw it from that angle, we were, we were convinced and we were excited and we moved forward with that. We got our first franchises in Las Vegas, our next one in Modesto, California, and then of course in Chino Hills, California, Fredericksburg, Texas, and now Eagle, Idaho. And each one of them is a very similar story. It's, it's a family or a couple looking to come together to provide an economic engine for themselves, as well as a place for them to do something that has positive impact on their community. So that was the dream for us was to get to see other families do what we did with the concept in their communities. And franchising was the best avenue for that. And we're, we love it. So you, you definitely have a culture to your, your concept. Um, at least that's what I'm hearing. And, you know, when you think about franchising, of course, you have the operating manual, the systems, you need people who can execute all that, have the experience to actually make the day-to-day business work. But it would seem to me, and I think you maybe just expressed it, you need people who kind of get what you're doing on a cultural level. And how big, how big a deal is that in terms of vetting prospective franchisees? And what might you share with others who say, listen, I've, I've got this great concept. I like what we're doing, but I have a, a certain ethic and a, a certain vibe that I want to recreate. And I just don't want to get it lost just in the quest for having X more units. Um, how does that work? I think it really comes down once again to systems. Um, We actually worked on systematizing our culture and finding a way to articulate the company's mission and values in a way that when we're prospecting franchisees or having early conversations with them, that we can look at the values that we uphold for the company and say, do does this franchisee uphold these values? And if somebody comes forward um, to explore the franchise opportunity and they're like, look, I got I've got a million bucks and I want to make a million bucks and I need, you know, this kind of return and I need this kind of profit and I need that kind of ROI. And that's why I'm doing this breakfast restaurant. We're like, goodbye. This is not the business for you because it really does take that love. Our mission statement is only six words. It's happy guests, happy associates every day. And we filter our decision-making through that uh, mission statement. Look on July 3rd, when we the whole business was like crumbling down because of this labor crisis, I looked at Shai and we, and we had the conversation that said, how do we create happy guests and happy associates? And how do we continue to do it every day? And in that moment, the answer was, we need to push, we need to pause and regroup. We need to time out we need to pull the team together. We need to come up with a communication strategy for our guests. And, and we ask for our franchisees to do the same exact thing. And then we've got our four company values, which are very simple, show the love, live to serve, grow and provide an experience. Now these four values act as that same decision-making filter. So whenever it, you know, you're coming up against an issue from a, from a management perspective or from an ownership perspective, running the, your decision-making through the lens of the values 
helps people to stay within the squeeze-in culture. We systematize the culture. Um, but if somebody comes in and they don't want values and they don't care about company mission and they don't they don't have any of that, um, they're not the fit for us. And we've had to say no. It's one of the most difficult things about franchising is getting in and having somebody with a lot of money who wants to come forward and throw it at your business. And you have to say no, because it's not a cultural fit. So um, really protecting the concept by bringing the right people on board is very imperative um, and not making the mistake of following the money, even though it can be very tempting. Well, those four values allow That's us true. to like give us a framework for when you need to give feedback to someone, right? So like if a franchisee comes forward and says, I'm not sponsoring the Santa breakfast at my local elementary, like that's not written down anywhere that no, that you have to do that, but it's a good practice to do. And it's great community builder, right? So if they say, well, I'm not doing that. You, you can use those values to say like, okay, I can hear you. Like, so how are you showing the love to your community or how do we provide an experience outside of the restaurant walls? So it, it gives us this like common shared language that, that, that can put a little bit of parameters around discussions that you're having when it comes to those kind of cultural decisions. Very good. No, I do. I want to just quickly underline that point too, because I have worked with independents growing through franchising. And typically when there's a problem, it's because we found that if we backed up to the selection process, they were too excited because someone was able to fog a mirror and cut a check and bingo. Now you have a franchisee in West Virginia and you weren't really ready to maybe go there, but, but, you know, again, now you're there. So compliments to the fact that you're growing from a strategy, not just you know, from somebody who's interested, you know, in the money part of it. Um, so once a selection is made, though, how long is the training? Who gets trained? Is there a particular squeeze in university that you use or do your trainers go there? The answer is yes. combo <laughs> <laughs> To all of those things. Uh, and, and, you know, to be fair for, for those of you out there in the audience, like, we've opened five franchises. So in terms of taking franchise advice, there are way more qualified people out there um, that can talk about having opened hundreds and learning the lessons along the way. And we look to those folks too, um, to gain our knowledge. But what we can tell you from our limited experience is that the training has gotten better each time um, and with each new owner that comes on board and that we really have found that it takes a very dimensional, comprehensive approach to crash course learning what it's like in the restaurant industry. So so, it, you know, if you look at the FDD and you go really mechanical, it's like they're required to come here to Reno for two weeks or, or for one week. And we're required to send people out to them for two weeks. But we often go, well, not often, we always go way more than that. And we ask them if they have a family member, if not themselves, that can come be up here with us for three to five weeks and work and learn the systems that that will really set them up the best for success. Uh, and then as they open, we have a, a an away mission team that goes with them that is there before opening, during opening, and then after opening, we phase out our people and then try to be visiting them um, uh, often. But it is definitely a challenge to try to teach somebody who's probably never had any restaurant industry how to be a restaurant owner from the moment they sign to five to eight months later, they're opening, depending on if you can find a location quickly. Um, that, that can be a lot. And so there is a lot of learning that happens on the ground. Um, but I, I would say in, in full transparency, transparency, as you know, we love to do that. We don't know a whole lot yet about how much training they really need and the right structures that are going to be in place to maximize success for our franchisees. Do you have a dedicated HR onboarding person or is that responsibility tend to fall on, on you to Kay and Shyla? 
We sure do. We are so well supported. We have an administrative team that actually works out of the, the office that we're in right now, an operations person, an administrator, an HR person, a marketing person. Um, so we're very well supported. And then one of the things that we'd love to do is give our managers of the individual locations opportunities to go and train. So when, when we do have like, hey, you're going to go, they, they, they server train every single weekend. They're training hosts through their restaurants all the time. So who better to go in and help help train a new staff, to help uh, motivate managers to get to go see new places, experience new things. Um, so we've actually tapped several of our, our leading GMs here to go even and help on that on the ground training. Um, and then our on onboarding system and people here within our HQ team. And then there's a fair amount of elbow grease that comes from Shiloh and I as well. I know we spent a lot of time on really, really good principles uh, that that you have in your operations and in your systems, in in the culture that you have developed, uh, in the way you handle staff. All of that, of course, helps underline the brand. How do you nurture that brand now? You've got a, a name, a brand. What is your marketing approach? What do you spend most of your time and money on? And then, of course, how do you uh, direct that or or suggest that to your franchisees? Yeah, well, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. So for those of you who did not have a database when the pandemic hit, you probably really quickly realized the value of having an email list uh, or could see the value or the harm from not having one. So, but now you can start planting. This is the second best time. So if you do not have a database or a loyalty club, even if you just pass around a clipboard sign-in sheet for people to put their email address to get some kind of $5 off coupon or stay in the news or get the specials or whatever it is, we would highly recommend that. We cannot tell you how many times we could say that our Egghead Nation has saved our business, helped our business, propelled our business. The one story you heard is one of dozens. Um, and not all of them are that big, but many of them are. And that they have been a huge, huge thread of our success that we could not not acknowledge. Um, so, so our database is an extreme asset to us. It's also a big marketing um, investment and, not, and it's a money investment, but it's a time investment. It takes time to write a weekly newsletter and send it out. It takes time to put together the specials and put together the photographs and the descriptions and the recipes and send those out. But you can hear that, that, that it works, right? The mimosa of the month, it works, even though it is work to get all of those pieces in play and share those on the continual basis. So um, doing that, having our ACAD database has been one of the best things for us and because we can internally market, right? It's five times more expensive to get a brand new guest in the door than it is to get an existing guest to come more often and spend more money. So why not be investing there where you can make such a better return? So our internal marketing is something that's incredibly and extremely important to us and is uh, one of the cornerstones of our marketing success, but it's certainly not the only one. Yeah, we have a lot of tactics that we do. Obviously, that email list, that database, is definitely one that we can, that's the lean on, right? We can lean on that when we need to, but it takes that consistent nurturing. You know, another thing that I think does very well for our marketing um, is our associates themselves. Uh, I, this might sound a little bit crazy, but four walls marketing inside your restaurant is some of the most important marketing that you can do. And obviously your menu is one of your best marketing tools because it makes the difference between how much someone's going to spend inside the restaurant and not, but how your associates 
associates treat your guests, how they smile at them, the experience and that love factor that they're getting from the associates is, is some of our best marketing. Because when we go out to hear, to talk to people in the community and, and we say, oh, you know, we own squeeze in, or they come across the fact that that's a part of our DNA and our lives. What is, what's like the number one thing you always hear? I love that place. The people are so nice. The people are so nice. They're so happy. I, I, one of the things I always hear is it just seems like your staff actually wants to work there. And that's something we hear all the time. And, and even just this morning, um, we stopped by a, a, an encounter. I'd had a food service encounter where someone wasn't friendly and it wasn't memorable. And it wasn't that like, wow, I want to go back to be treated that way and to be feeling that way because people go to eat out for an escape. If they want to be miserable and eat good food, they'll do that in their house. Like I can eat food and be miserable anywhere. So if I'm going to go and I'm going to pay a premium and I'm going to get something delicious that I want, I wanted to have that full factor. I want to feel better when I'm done. And so much of that comes down to how they're interacted with from the associate experience. And it is one of our best marketing tools because they can say, well, the food, you know, our food is phenomenal, but who knows? Someone might say, well, the food was marginal, but the people were amazing. I have to take you back. My server was so good. I can't wait for you to meet. Yeah. For you to tie over Ian. Like it was great. So it really comes down to that experience and four walls marketing. And Chris, you've always been saying, you know, people first, right? I mean, I was just going to say, you know, I'm enjoying this so much. There's absolutely positively nothing to add to that statement. I mean, that is that that's if you just wanted to tell somebody who was opening a restaurant, how does the best marketing work? I would I will now direct them to the few minutes of this to say, have you ever heard of four walls marketing? Have you heard about how important staff is? Because they will cover up something just in case the recipe that you love, they didn't. But a really good personal experience is going to make that you know, work. Uh, and yes, I love the example that was made on how important it is to nurture and stay on top of your existing customers because you build a business by getting those that like you to love you. Uh, getting people who like your concept to love your concept turns them from being a satisfied customer to being a loyal customer. And the difference, as you guys know, is the loyal customers are your marketing department. They're out there bragging. You've done all of that. I just say, fantastic. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. And we, you know, I think it's a work in progress and we're students of what you uh, both have been advocating for and publishing for a long time uh, and, and hope that it's heartening to you to know that people take what you say and apply it and, and use it and that it makes a difference in their success and in their restaurants. So thank you very much for being a part of our success. Oh, it's our honor. And as we're, as we're getting close to the end of the hour, um, notwithstanding the labor challenges and, and all the challenges right now, um, what's the strategy going forward for you all? Um, your growth plan or your just plan for the next year? I know that's a hard question because there's so many unknowns, but I got to believe you're thinking about that. Of course, we're thinking about it um, and, we're, and we're excited about it too. I think probably like most restaurant owners right, th- right now, our plan is to survive. Get through the end of the week. <laughs> Sometimes you're on day by day. I know we are changing kitchen schedules by the hour right now at this point, um, doing our best to manage, but the light is there and we know that it is. And, and one of the things that we've held on to, and it may seem macabre, but it's been helpful for us, is that there's been a tremendous amount of economic 
economic pruning that has happened in our industry right now, for those of us who make it through, you're really set up well on the other side to benefit and to be successful and, and to be a leader. And we know that smooth seas never made a seasoned sailor. So those of us who come out of this seasoned sailors will be doing very well to navigate our ships through the, the new waters of what is the restaurant industry. It will be changed forever. To go is not going away. Pay, right, paperless and contactless is not going away. Curbside orders and pickups are not going away. Uh, these home meal kits and, and these kinds of things are not going away. So understanding that that this is, is a real time of opportunity for our industry uh, can be helpful during those times when you're thinking, how do I get through the day? Yes, I think too on the horizon as well. And one thing that COVID really demonstrated to us um, was that while we've really gotten great on the operational systems for individual locations, we still have a lot to learn in regards to operating a regional chain. Um, and Shyla and I actually bought our very first sister-owned location. We took over one of the Las Vegas franchises just this year. So there are now six that are under our direct operational control. And so inputting regional systems, just like we've done on the individual level, so that for, we can continue to up-level and elevate so we can get to a place where we're not working in the business, AKA in the operations of a multi-unit chain, but on the operations of that multi-unit chain. Excellent, that's that's exactly right. Uh, I think you have a short-term strategy that's, that is appropriate because you looked at this correctly. COVID's not a speed bump, it is a change in the road. And uh, the smarter people are the ones that grabbed onto that. The consumer behavior is changing. And so the more we can go with it, uh, the more successful we can be with it. Could you give us maybe a couple examples of how you feel um, some of your menu might work in um, either a grab and go, a take and bake, uh, a family size meal to help um, maybe encourage additional sales from that curbside pickup or third party delivery? Yeah, we saw a few things be really successful. We saw the family-sized meals do well for us. It'd be like a pancake platter with fruit and bacon and stuff on the side. Um, people were really into that. That's cooled off a little bit, but we've also just haven't leaned into it and know that there could be more potential there um, because that did well for us. The one thing that we tried that did not stick to the wall at all was trying to do smoothie kits, right? We've got all the stuff for it. You just take it home, put it in your blender. That's not what people wanted. But we were trying everything. Uh, we were selling groceries. We were selling toilet paper. We were we're selling, you know, whatever we could um, to, to, to try and get through. But those family packs did well for us. The mimosa packs did extremely well for us. A bottle of champagne with like a little bit of orange juice and we could sell that at a premium. Um, and those have not gone away and people love those. And we also did Bloody Mary kits as well. So mimosa and Bloody Mary kits have been ones for us that have been very successful. And then in regards to kind of modifying our menu so that it can be more to-go friendly as we've, we've come by, um, you know, we are encouraging guests to um, ask for sauces on the side. We no longer serve our um, eggs Benedict. If you order one for a delivery or a to-go, it's completely deconstructed. You have to put it together, but you're welcome because it's terrible if that hollandaise sits on a poached egg for an hour while it's in transit to you. Right those right. things separated out. So we really had to get serious in the beginning about how do we deliver quality product to people who are not eating our food as soon as it comes out of the window and eggs don't travel super great and potatoes get soggy in the box. And right. so we started um, putting potatoes in separate boxes, poking holes on the top of the boxes for ventilation, um, wrapping more things that we could in burritos, asking our associates to ask 
guests, if they would like their omelet as a burrito, because we know that the burrito will taste better and travel better. We put all salsas and sauces on the side as they're traveling. So kind of figuring out how do we create the experience if our guests, if the, if the consumer behavior is changing from in the restaurant to at home, how do we continue to deliver a happy guest, happy associates every day? And that did mean that we had to create some modifications around how we packaged our to-go food in order to have it carry well to our guests. The emphasis too on healthy foods and vegan foods has definitely been accelerated through all of this. I would think so. Yeah, yeah. I want I want to be healthier and I want it. So we did a emergency, like the vitamin C powder mimosa special and that went crazy. Everybody loved the emergency mimosa. So that was a lot of fun, but we've also included, now we've got our Beyond Sausage that we're offering. We have tofu, we've got vegan patties, avocado toast does amazing for us. Sweet potato breakfast bowl has become one of our biggest sellers. One of our biggest sellers. So we also saw people really accelerate towards how do I eat consciously at the places that I love. But you know, I think it's something special about an egghead to, um, to not be wild about making their own smoothie, but definitely making their own mimosa. Yeah. yeah, and their own eggs Benedict for that matter. So yeah, you know where to place the emphasis as you go forward. Yeah, and let us tell you one more thing that we did. It was really interesting with our Yelp representative here in Northern Nevada. They approached us and said, hey, there's this really cool model we want to try with you where you'll sell cooking kits from your restaurant and then everyone will log into a Zoom and cook along with you. So we did a BFD, a breakfast for dinner, Zoom cook along with our Yelp community coordinator. And we did not think it was going to be very successful, but there was almost a hundred people who bought kits and tuned in to cook alongside in my kitchen. We like cooked up the omelets and showed the French toast and talked about the ingredients and they all had their little packs. So they're like pulling out their bacon and chopping it up and doing it. And everybody ate together. And it was really, really cool. Yeah. Like little quick side note though, we are not cooks. We're not cooks. And like we've, we grew up in the restaurant, but we've always served in the front of the house. We know how to cook it, but like it came to that egg flip when it was time to do the omelet shell. And we're like, it was terrifying, you guys, but we did, we did it. it. <laughs> and people are asking us, when are you guys going to do another cook along? When are you going to do it? So just a fun, creative idea for anyone out there. Maybe that was meant for you. That's so cool, though. I mean, I hope you don't stop doing it. I think that, you know, I, I think I'm going to have somebody from the magazine call you up to ask you about that. I think that is really, really cool. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a great success, too. And it was a big win for our Yelp uh, representative and a big win for our Yelp community. What ended up happening after that, even though the restaurants were still kind of in modified operations at that point, was we got a big flood of five-star reviews on several of our locations. I bet you did. Who, who loved it. Yeah, yeah. And who were into the cook-along. So it was, it was overall really great for the business. Wow. Well, Barry, I'm sure you agree with me that we could, <clears throat> we could just get comfortable and listen to some more stories and we could go on and on because everything that Kay and Shyla are sharing are wonderful. And uh, to, to take your time to share the success you have and the energy that you have and as positive as you are with the amount of work that you've been through uh, is, is really enlightening. I, 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 we both have thoroughly enjoyed this. Absolutely. It's very inspiring. And, and you just do everything so well and explain it so well. Um, I, I hope that everybody listens to this, that they really want to understand, you know, how you start and build and grow a concept. So check out that squeeze in website. Um, if you are in Nevada, Idaho, Texas, California, see if you can go find one uh, and enjoy the experience. We've certainly enjoyed today's experience. Okay, Shyla, thank you again. Uh, best wishes for continued, uh, continued success. 
And I think that kind of wraps it up for the corner booth. So everyone, we hope to see you on an upcoming episode. Until then, go have a great shift. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. Thank you for joining us on The Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.